0: Welcome in, everybody, to episode 207 of the podcast. That is Sweeping America the Eratora Sports Podcast. Here's the deal, people. So many of you love college basketball, and so many of you listen to this show, and we enjoy doing college football, but college basketball is really my bread and butter. It's what I grew up, kind of came up in this business, covering more so even than football. And so for those of you who love college basketball more than college football, the good news is that we have basically reached the point in the year where I don't want to say I'm completely done talking football, because in a few weeks when we get closer to the playoff, I'll have some college football guests on. We'll break down the playoff and the big bowl games. But we're now at the point where we're basically full speed ahead on college hoops. We are talking college hoops almost exclusively from now until March. And in the first weekend without any real college football, I know there was the FCS playoffs, there was Army-Navy, but this was the first real weekend where college basketball took center stage. I thought we got a lot of awesome storylines on Saturday And then Sunday, things went even crazier. So we're going to get to it all. I will open with Carolina, North Carolina. They lose on Sunday to Wofford, and they potentially lost to Cole Anthony for uh, an extended period of time. We don't really know how long, but I'm going to talk about the long-term ramifications for North Carolina. Very briefly touch on Ohio State. Listen, I know they lost. I know they were going to be the number one team in the country, but at the end of the day, if they weren't about to be number one tomorrow... I don't know that losing a conference game on the road would be that big of a deal. It happens throughout the College hoop season. We'll transition back to Saturday. Uh, My newfound love for Gonzaga. And listen, I know that some of you, you don't like Gonzaga. You don't like what they're about, and they don't play tough enough. Just, Just trust me on this. You need to appreciate and respect what Gonzaga is doing. We'll talk a little Memphis. Same deal. I know that some of you hate Memphis, some of you hate Penny Hardaway, but I'm telling you what they did on Saturday, even though it wasn't the prettiest game, was very impressive. Very briefly touch on Tennessee, not too worried about them in the big picture, and we will wrap on the University of Kentucky, first time they have played a Power 5 team since Michigan State, thought they looked pretty good as they get set for a week where they will play Utah and Ohio State in Las Vegas. Great stuff today. No guests today. I will say a couple great guests coming in the next week to 10 days. So be patient. I'm riding solo. I'm recapping college hoops. And before I get started, I want to remind you a couple things. One, make sure you're subscribed to the Arator Sports podcast. Like I told you, full speed ahead. The next couple months, all college basketball all the time. All the biggest storylines. We're going to have some coaches on as guests. We're going to have some other great guests in the media and whatever, so make sure you're subscribed. You can do it on Apple Podcasts. You can, of course, do it on Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is what I use to you, to listen to this show. And yes, I'm one of those dudes that listens to my own podcast. Uh, also, obviously, you can listen on Spotify, Pod Paradise, Podbean. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show Go on Apple Podcasts. Give us a quick five stars. Tell us what you like, why you like the show, what we're doing well, and what we can improve on, if anything. And maybe I can't improve on anything. Maybe I'm that good where there's really nothing for me to improve on. And if that's the case, you could say that too. Just tell me how awesome I am. Make sure to rate and review the show. Again, if you have questions, we're going to do mailbags periodically. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. The Aaron Torres sports podcast Instagram page. Hate to brag, I gave you two winners on Saturday morning. I told you to take Memphis plus six and a half. I told you to take Gonzaga plus two and a half. They both hit. You'd be rich. You got to be following the Aaron Torres podcast Instagram page. And finally, this is the big announcement. And this is the awesome announcement. And I'm so excited for this. And I told you for the last month, for those of you who are going to be in Las Vegas next weekend, for the CBS Sports Classic, that is next Saturday, uh, we will get North Carolina against UCLA, North Carolina potentially without Cole Anthony against Ohio State and Kentucky, which could be, I believe, a top 10 matchup, should be a top 10 matchup, will be a top 10 matchup, and if you're going to be in town for that event, the Aaron Torres Podcast, we are doing a get-together, a meetup on Friday before the games. I gave the details last episode. If you didn't listen, here are the details. Grab a pen and a piece of paper because the Aaron Torres Pod is throwing a party in Vegas and it's gonna be awesome. I'm like DJ Paul E.D. right now. I'm pumping my fist. I'm so fired up to talk about this. But here's what you need to know. Next Friday, December 20th, the restaurant is called Lagasse's Stadium. Think like Emerald Lagasse, Legacy Stadium. It is in technically the Venetian it's the, it's it's kind of in between the Venetian and the Palazzo so the Palazzo and the Venetian are connected Legacy Stadium Technically in the Venetian, but it's right near the Palazzo front desk. If you look, if you get to the Venetian and look for signs, you will see signs for Legacies. It is a sports bar. We are going to have appetizers. We are going to have drink specials. I'll actually be selling a couple of my books. Uh, One in fun, I'll have those for sale. If you need a last-minute Christmas gift, but come hang out, drink. I should mention, by the way, I should mention, it is a sports bar, but it also has a sports book in the sports bar. So if you want to throw down a couple bucks on an NBA game or a college hoops game, we'll have a couple bowl games going. Come down, throw down a bet, have some drinks. I mentioned the other day, I already set up this incredible drink special for the younger people that maybe are on a budget or for people that just want to start their Friday right. How about this? We will have $20 all-you-can-drink Bud Light drafts, plus a plate of wings for 20 bucks. So you come in, you throw down a 20 on the table, you say, I'm here to see Torres, give me some beer. They will get you some beer, unlimited drinks. Uh, obviously, like I said, appetizers, all kinds of stuff, but swing on by, it is three to five Legacy Stadium in the Venetian, the Venetian Palazzo area. If you have any questions or if you want to RSVP, I would recommend you telling me because I'm trying to get the restaurant a number and that number is going way up. It has basically doubled since the time that I mentioned it on the last episode but if you want to come let me know send me a note either on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres send me a note on Instagram Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast or send me an email Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com but again that is the uh Lagasse Stadium next Friday December 20th three to five local time in Las Vegas. Come hang out, drink, party. It is going to be a blast. All right, you got all that written down. Let's finally talk some college hoops because the biggest storyline I think you could frankly argue in all of college hoops early this season happened Sunday. We're getting ready to watch some games. We think we know the narrative's coming out of the weekend. Memphis beats Tennessee. Gonzaga beats Arizona. And then, about an hour before tip-off with North Carolina and Wofford, a game that none of us were going to be planning on paying attention to, what happens? North Carolina announces that Cole Anthony, their best player, a projected top five pick in every mock draft... 19 points per game, second leading scorer among freshmen in college basketball. He has a knee injury, and he's out not only for Sunday's game, but also indefinitely. And look, I'll just be honest with you right off the top here. This isn't one I'm going to spend a ton of time on. There are some things, uh, some topics that sometimes, you know, I I, I want to go deep on. I want to go 8, 10, 12 minutes on, but this one's pretty self-explanatory. North Carolina right now does not have their best player. North Carolina was not good when they had their best player. And so now North Carolina is really screwed without Cole Anthony, and we saw it on Sunday when they lost to Wofford 68-64 at home. And in case you didn't hear me, yes, I just said that North Carolina lost to Wofford 68-64 at home. And so what this game showed is what I have told you all along. This is not a vintage North Carolina team. This is not a team like last year, that had three future first-round picks. Cam Johnson, Kobe White, Nasir Little, plus Luke May, one of the best uh, kind of role-playing kind of veteran guys that they've had come through that program in years. They had another kid, Kenny Williams. They lost their top six scorers coming into this year. I've said it a million times, so I'm not going to harp on the same topics, but they replaced them with a bunch of grad transfers from lower levels who were not performing at the level they had hoped, And they had a couple freshmen, but outside of Cole Anthony, none of them was elite. And so we saw early in the season that, look, to their credit, they took care of business against the teams they were supposed to, beat a bunch of mid-major teams with Cole Anthony, beat Notre Dame in ACC play. They also lost to the better teams on their schedule. They got smoked by Ohio State at home. They lost to Virginia on the road. They lost to Michigan in the Bahamas. Credit to them because they actually beat Oregon, which is looking like a really, really good team right now. And so we saw that even with Cole Anthony, they were going to struggle to beat the better teams in college basketball. And now without him, they are in really big trouble. And so I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. There's way too much to get into from over the course of the weekend. But I think North Carolina is in real trouble because Cole Anthony was the only guy on that roster that could create his own offense, that was a—I I would argue was an above-average offensive player in the ACC. Maybe you include Garrison Brooks, but as I told you a few weeks ago, I really think there's only about four guys on that team that are kind of vintage Carolina players, guys that are good enough to play for a normal North Carolina team in the ACC. Cole Anthony is one. Garrison Brooks, the big guy, is another. Armando Baycott, who is a freshman big guy, is another. And then they have a kid named Brandon Robinson, who honestly, in most years, like, yeah, he'd be a good fifth or sixth guy, maybe first or second guy off the bench. Now he's being asked to be one of their best players on offense as a guy that's just not that guy. And so again, I, I just, I, I don't mean to keep repeating myself, but I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on this, but North Carolina is very good right now. And I think the interesting thing going forward is two things. One, how long is Cole Anthony out for? The good news for North Carolina is it doesn't appear to be a major kind of earth-shattering injury. North Carolina, after the game, kind of said that that he's on a timetable, not on a timetable, but that they're evaluating him and they're putting together a recovery plan. So it doesn't appear as though he needs surgery. It doesn't appear as though he's going to miss, I don't know, the rest of the season or six weeks or eight weeks. But this is a team that plays Gonzaga on Wednesday, and I'm going to talk to you about Gonzaga in a second. They're awesome. North Carolina is in real trouble going into that game in Spokane. They play UCLA over the weekend. This isn't a very good UCLA team right now, but UCLA is playing hard for Mick Cronin, and I'm not saying UCLA is even going to win that game, but I think it's going to be a challenge. And then, of course, you kind of come back and you get set for ACC play. So that's kind of the interesting question. When will Cole Anthony be back? Because I think it brings to the bigger point. If he's not back, if he doesn't come back in a reasonable amount of time, I think we could be talking about, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, I truly believe that North Carolina might not be an NCAA tournament team. And I know it sounds crazy because it's Carolina and the blue and Roy Williams and Michael Jordan and Jerry Stackhouse. and like We think of North Carolina as this incredible program, this elite program, but we've seen they're not very good this year. And Cole Anthony was the one guy that could be a difference maker, that could carry them against teams that were as good or better than them. And if he's going to be out a significant amount of time, listen, they just lost to Wofford this afternoon. If they lost to Wofford on Sunday, there's no reason to think that they're going to go into ACC play and forget forget beating the Virginias and the Louisvilles and the Dukes. I think they're going to struggle to beat the Pitts, who's playing pretty well. Uh, Florida State's playing pretty well. You have to go on the road to Syracuse. I know Syracuse isn't very good right now, but you play Syracuse down the road, like, that's not an easy place to play. You play uh, NC State. Not an easy team to play. And so I'm just sitting there saying I think North Carolina is in real trouble. It will be fascinating, but I'm telling you right now, if Cole Anthony does not come back, I think that North Carolina is in real trouble I think they're in real danger of missing the tournament. The one saving grace, which I tweeted out right now, is I know I just said that it won't be easy for Carolina, but the ACC is very down this year. When I look at the ACC, I see, I think Duke is clearly the best team. That's not something I said in the preseason, but I think they're clearly the best team. I think that Virginia and Louisville are both really good, but also have really big flaws. And I think Florida State's pretty decent to above average. Like They're a good team, but how good are they really? And then after that, it's a bunch of question marks. Like, Pitt's got an all-right record, but are they – I mean, it's Pitt. Come on. Like, year two at Jeff Capel. Like, they shouldn't be that good right now. Uh, Boston College is actually 2-0 in league play, but we know they ain't going to stay there. NC State needed a buzzer beater to beat UNC Greensboro. So I guess what I'm saying is the one saving grace for North Carolina is that they do have a situation where the ACC is a little bit down. So if Cole Anthony is able to come back in two, three, four weeks at the start of league play – I think they'll be okay, but I'm telling you, if he misses any extended period of time, North Carolina could be in really big trouble, and I would not be surprised if they end up on the outside looking in of the NCAA tournament. All right, really quick, Ohio State. Listen, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on I, I I'm going to spend less than a minute on Ohio State because I know so many of you want me to talk about them, and they play Kentucky on Saturday, and they just lost at Minnesota, and what does it mean? And it's like, I'll be honest, this one I'm just going to sit on the sidelines for because what you got to understand is that when you cover college basketball on a night-in, night-out basis like I do, teams lose pretty regularly to other good teams in their conference. I don't even know that Minnesota is very good this year, but going on the road in conference is a different animal. It's just not easy. A lot of you guys are Kentucky fans. You know doesn't matter if you're playing Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Vandy. Well, maybe not Vandy. Vandy, Vandy's all Kentucky fans. But Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Georgia, Tennessee, uh, Auburn, Alabama. Whoever you're playing, it's their biggest game, and it's always going to be tough. And it's the same with Carolina. It's the same with Duke. It's the same with Gonzaga. And so, to me, I don't I, like. I can't get worked up about this Ohio State thing. I should mention that one of their best players, sophomore guard. Uh, Dwayne Washington actually sat out this game and so you add in the fact that look they're probably a team that isn't used to the spotlight they're not used to uh, potentially when you win this game you're going to be number one come next week you don't have your second leading scorer you're playing a league road game I'm just not going to get too worked up about this I'm going to spend a bunch of time talking Ohio State next week. I'm going to spend a bunch of time, or excuse me, next episode in the lead-up to the CBS Sports Classic this weekend, but I'm just not going to spend a ton of time now. I can't get worked up about a team losing in conference play. Listen, Maryland lost the other night at Penn State. Um, You know, I'm trying to think. Michigan lost a a, a league game at Illinois. Like, these things happen. Louisville's going to lose league games on the road. Duke's going to lose league games on the road. This is part of college basketball. It's part of what makes it great. It's part of what makes things so tough. So again, I'm just not going to get too worked up about it. Later this week, I promise, I will get take a deeper dive into Ohio State. I actually hope to have a pretty good guest on with me uh, to talk Ohio State. A really good guest, actually, if I can get him. Um, but I, I'm not too worked up about this. I still think they're a good team. I still think they're one of the three or four best teams I've seen. I still think they can. Play with, if not beat Kentucky, depending on how Kentucky comes out to play on Saturday. But we will get into Ohio State much more on next episode in the lead up to the CBS Sports Classic. I do want to switch gears, though, to Gonzaga, who I'm not going to lie. I just, I love him. And I know a lot of you are mad. And a lot of you are like, why are you starting with Gonzaga? And I know a lot of you don't like Gonzaga. And I kind of get it, right? Like every time that I, as a media person, as an analyst, say something nice about Gonzaga, I get the same feedback. And that feedback is, oh, Torres, they're always overrated and they don't play anybody and their schedule stinks and that conference is whack and they always get a good seed because of that schedule. And, like, in a way, I do kind of get it, right? Like, I get, if you're a Louisville fan listening to this show right now and you know that in the final three weeks of the season, you play – at Virginia, at North Carolina, and Duke at home, like you don't want to hear about Gonzaga. You don't want to hear about some team that's playing in high school gyms in January and February, playing in front of a thousand people at Loyola Marymount or Pacific. I get that. I get if you're a Kentucky fan and you know that you got wars coming up in January and February with LSU and Tennessee and Auburn and Ole Miss, you don't want to hear about Gonzaga. I get that. But I do think that we need to start paying attention to this program, and I'm gonna explain why, I'm gonna tell you why, and a reason that I don't think anybody's talking about, but let's start with what it, what, why I'm talking about it coming out of this weekend, which is very simply this. Gonzaga just got another really nice win. They went to Arizona, they win 84-82, okay? In the context of this season, maybe that's not a big deal. I think Arizona's good, I'm gonna have them in my top 20 coming into next week. We don't know if this one win is a big deal. But in the context of what we've seen so far from Gonzaga, it's actually pretty impressive because Gonzaga right now has a resume that includes wins at Arizona, which is a good team, Nico Mannion, Josh Green, all those guys, at Washington, J.D. McDaniels, Isaiah Stewart, Nas Carter, all those guys is another team that's probably a top 20 team. They beat Baylor to open the season. Quade Green's on that team. Oh, and they beat the same Oregon team that just went to Michigan and got a win. So already this season, Gonzaga has wins at Arizona, at Washington, and Oregon at home. But you know what? Here's the thing. That's not why this is impressive. That's not why I want to talk about Gonzaga. Not because they have three wins already over teams that are gonna be in my top 20 on Monday. Here is why it's so impressive, because do you know who Gonzaga lost off last year's team? They lost two first-rounders off last year's team. Rui Hachimura, who's averaging 14 points a game, was the ninth overall draft pick from the Washington Wizards by the Washington Wizards. He's gone. Brandon Clark, he's averaging 13 points a game with the Memphis Grizzlies, 21st overall pick. He's gone. Josh Perkins, fifth-year senior at guard. He's gone. Zach Norvell, who signed as a free agent with the Los Angeles Lakers, he's gone. So if you look at Gonzaga's roster off of last year, they lost three guys that are currently playing in the NBA, including two that were first-round draft picks, and both are really productive. These weren't guys that were just drafted on potential, and maybe they'll be good five years down the road. They're real players. Those guys are gone, plus a fifth-year senior, and here is Gonzaga. Now, Eight weeks into the season, six weeks into the season, whatever it is. I don't even know. I lost track already. And they they are sitting at 11-1 overall with three great wins, including two on the road. But that's not even why it's impressive. Why it's impressive is because who they lost and who they replaced them with. Because this is the incredible part to me about Gonzaga. It's not that they're 11-1. It's not that they have all these great wins. It's look at the roster that they brought back. This was a team that lost three guys that are currently playing in the NBA, a fourth player who is now, uh, who was a fifth-year senior last year. And let me tell you who they bring back. They brought back Killian Tilly, who I will say was very good two years ago, but was very injury-prone. They brought back Corey Kispert, who was their fifth starter, averaged eight points per game last year. They brought back this kid, Philippe Petrusev, who was the fifth big guy on their roster last year. He averaged six and a half points per game last year. He's averaging 16 per game now. And they brought back this kid, this guard, Joel Ayayi, who's from France, who was a redshirt sophomore, basically didn't play at all last year. How about this? The last six games, he is averaging 17, or excuse me, 15.7 rebounds and six assists per game. I think that he is maybe one of the 10 best guards in college basketball right now. I think you could make a case that all four of those guys are amongst the top 10 to 12 to 15 players at their position. And these are guys that barely played last year. None of them were highly ranked recruits. This isn't a program that brings in McDonald's, All-Americans one after the other, like Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky. Um, They shouldn't be this good, And this is the incredible part to me about Gonzaga. If you want to pick them apart about what happens in March and the fact that they've never won a championship and the fact that they have uh, an easy schedule in January, February, listen, I'm not going to argue with you. I'll argue with you that they haven't had success in March, which we'll get to in a minute. But if you just want to say, like, look, I think that my, my team goes through more during the course of the season than they do, that's fine. But what you can't take away, this program lost four starters, three NBA players, they brought in zero McDonald's All-Americans, and they are now going to be a top five team with three wins already over top 20 opponents. And here is the thought that I had on Saturday night as I watched this team play. That thought was very simply this. We kind of do this thing in college basketball, right? Whenever we have a conversation about who's the best coach in college basketball, who's the best coach, it always kind of boils down to like, a person in one of two groups. It's either like the all-time legends. Well, Coach K, he's got five championships. He's the greatest. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. Well, Calipari, he's got the most tournament wins. He's got the most Final Fours. He's got the most Elite Eights since he got to Kentucky. That guy's the best coach in college basketball. Bill Self won a billion Big 12 championships in a row. Roy Williams, three national cha- Well, those guys are the best guys in college. Like, those are the best pure coaches in college basketball. Or it's one of kind of the young up-and-coming guys, right? Well, Tony Bennett's won four ACC titles in six years or whatever he's done. He's got to be in the conversation. And Chris Beard, I mean, it's Texas Tech, and he had him a shot away from winning the national champ. Well, he's got to be there. Jay Wright, two national championships in the last four years. He's got to be there. But it's kind of crazy to me that nobody even includes Mark Few in that conversation. I'm not saying he's the best. I'm not standing on the table and demanding that you say that he's the best coach in college basketball. But I think there's a conversation to be had because this is what I was thinking about on Saturday night as I watched them go to Arizona and beat Arizona, is that when you talk about the things that makes a great coach a great coach, like the word coach I'm not talking about recruiter. I'm not talking about a career lifetime achievement award for Coach K or Roy Williams or whoever. I'm talking about things that make someone a good coach. Doesn't Mark View check all the boxes? Think about it. Player evaluation. This is not a guy that is recruiting off a recruiting rankings list and going and trying to sign the best class every year. So he's identifying players that nobody else sees. He's developing them within the program. This is not a program where you have to come in as a freshman and you're expected to play right away. As a matter of fact, most of these guys are not ready to play right away. Rui Hachimura, who was a lottery pick last year, if you really watch Gonzaga, as a freshman, they couldn't put him on the court because he couldn't contribute at the college level. Two years later, he's a lottery pick. Three years later, he's, I don't want to say dominating the NBA, but he's one of the better rookies in the NBA. I mentioned Philippe Petrasev, who is their leading scorer this year, he averaged six points per game last year, couldn't get off the bench. Now he's averaging 16 per game against some of the best teams in college basketball. This kid, Joel Ayayi, same thing, couldn't get off the bench for two years. I'm telling you, this kid's going to be an NBA first round draft pick. Just watch Gonzaga. This guy's a first round NBA draft pick, no doubt about it. So you talk about player identification. You talk about developing guys on campus. You talk about consistency. You talk about having the next guy ready to go when the last guy leaves. I'm not saying Mark Few is the best, but I kind of think he's gotta be in the conversation, right? Because again, to really hammer home this point, Gonzaga is not recruiting players that we look at as can't miss NBA players. Before I came on air today, I looked it up. In Gonzaga's entire history, okay, I actually had a Gonzaga fan tell me this part. They've never signed a consensus five-star recruit coming out of high school. Never. Zach Collins is the only McDonald's All-American that they've ever signed, and he wasn't even a consensus five-star. He was a four-star, according to some recruiting services. As I just mentioned, they've only had one McDonald's All-American sign with Gonzaga coming out of high school. That was Zach Collins. They've only had four McDonald's All-Americans in program history. The other three were transfers. A kid named Micah Downs, many years ago, who started at Kansas. Kyle Wiltshire, who obviously started at Kentucky. And Nigel Williams-Goss, who began his career at Washington and then ended up at Gonzaga. So four McDonald's All-Americans, three of them were transfers. And I just look at it like the guys that they're bringing in, who are developing into pros, are not guys that we, that anyone saw as pros. Like I told you, Rui Hachimura could not play when he got to campus, but the Gonzaga staff saw something in him that said like, man, that kid's got a chance. I don't know what it was. I've been around the Gonzaga staff a lot because they play in the West region. They've been in LA the last couple years playing in the NCAA tournament, but I don't know what they saw in him that nobody else did. Um, the kid Killian Tilly, I'm telling you, if this kid wasn't injured all the time, this kid might have been a first-round pick two years ago. He certainly would have been a first-round pick last year. I think he'll be an NBA player if he can stay healthy. But if you watch him, he's like 6'10". He can run, he can jump, he can pass, he can dribble. I think he might be the best passer out of the high post that I've seen in college basketball this year. This kid Petrosev is awesome. He's kind of a low-post player right now, but he's developing. This kid Ayayi that I keep mentioning, I looked it up today. He committed to Gonzaga over Georgia Tech. I'm sorry, but if he went to Georgia Tech, this kid would not be playing at the level that he is. So again, I'm not saying that you have to love Gonzaga. and I'm not saying that you have to drink the Kool-Aid and believe that they're the greatest program in the history of college basketball, and credit to them. But I think it's incredible what this team does year in and year out, the guys that they lose year in and year out, And the fact that they're still having this level of success every single season, it's unbelievable. Gonzaga should not. And this is, and by the way, for a Gonzaga fan listening, and we have some Gonzaga fans who listen to the show, this is no disrespect to Gonzaga. But Gonzaga should not be the type of program that loses two first rounders, a third NBA player, and a fifth year senior at point guard and play this well this quickly. They shouldn't be. But some, it's, it's just its incredible to me. It's unbelievable. And by the way, for those people who are saying, oh, well, they don't win in the tournament, here's the bottom line. Here's what you need to know about Gonzaga. Mark Few has won at least one tournament game 10 straight years, which is kind of incredible when you think about it. And oh, by the way, Gonzaga is the only program in the last five years to make the Sweet 16 or beyond three Elite Eights, one Final Four in that point. So for those who are going to say, well, they don't win in the tournament, Five straight Sweet 16s, they're the only program in college basketball that can say that. North Carolina can't say that. Duke can't say that. Arizona can't say that. UCLA can't say that. Michigan can't say that. Kentucky can't say that. Louisville can't say that. Michigan State can't say that. Again, I'm not saying if you don't like them, that's fine. Respect them. And I'm not saying that Mark Few is definitively the best coach in college basketball. But I think he's in the conversation and nobody ever talks about that guy. Alright, let's move on to another program that some of you love and some of you definitely do not love, and that is the Memphis Tigers. Memphis Tigers go on the road, they beat Tennessee at Tennessee. Um, and listen, I, I will say this really quick with the Memphis, Tennessee game, is that it kind of reminded me of the Louisville, Michigan game a few weeks ago. Remember when the Louisville, Michigan game happened? And I kind of came on air and I said, like, look. Nice win for Louisville, but let's not go crazy. I saw people say, oh, this is a signature win for Louisville. It's the greatest thing that ever happened. It's like Louisville was all right, and Michigan was just terrible. So let's not go crazy about the Louisville win over Michigan, and I kind of feel the same way about Memphis versus Tennessee. The final score was 51 to 47. I'm guessing a lot of you watched the game, and if you did, you know that let's be honest. Neither team played great, both of them probably played at best a C or C-plus game. It just so happened that one team had to win and it was Memphis. Even with that said, I do think we gotta give a little shout-out to Penny Hardaway a little bit of shout-out to Memphis. And I know, again a lot of you hate Memphis and a lot of you don't want to give Penny Hardaway credit. And a lot of you don't like the way that he's done things since he's gotten there. He's been very vocal. He's been very arrogant. He said that he believes his team will win the national championship. Not that they're capable of winning the national championship, that they will win the national championship. He's gone after Rick Barnes, something for which he apologized for on Saturday afternoon. So I get if you don't like Penny Hardaway, but man, how can you not at least kind of respect that team? Because when you look at what happened on Saturday afternoon, here's what you kind of need to know. They go to a Tennessee team, which was on a 31-game home-winning streak, longest win streak in college basketball. They played a lot of good teams over that stretch as well, especially in SEC play. Um, And they go to Thompson Bowling Arena Tennessee hasn't lost there in years. Tennessee has played very well early. They beat Virginia Commonwealth. They beat Washington in a neutral site game and Memphis goes and gets the win. And not only does Memphis go get the win, they go get the win without a future top 3 pick in James Wiseman who don't know if you heard, but he's been suspended and uh yeah, he wasn't playing on Saturday afternoon. Lester Quinones who I think you could actually argue was maybe Memphis's second best player this season when he was healthy was also out now I'm not saying he's their best long-term NBA prospect and in 10 years he'll be looked he'll be will look back on this as the second best player on the team but he was playing really well when he was healthy he's hurt he's out he's been out the last four games yet Memphis still goes on the road and gets a win and again You don't like Penny Hardaway, that's fine. You don't like the way he said things, that's fine. You don't like the way he's treated Rick Barnes, that's fine. You don't like the fact that he gave, let's be honest, that he gave James Wiseman $11,000 to come play high school ball in Memphis, which then led to James Wiseman's commitment to the University of Memphis, that's fine. I can't hate you for that. But I do think you have to respect this team. I think you have to respect the way that Penny Hardaway had them ready to play, I think you have to respect the way that his players stepped up in a tough road environment, guys being thrust into a position that they weren't thinking they would be in, guys playing more minutes than they thought they would, guys having to be a star when they thought that they weren't going to be a star, and getting that win. Now again, I don't want to go overboard here, and oh, this is the signature win of the season in Memphis, maybe they're the best team in college, but like, like, no, let's, let's chill. Like, Gonzaga was awesome in their wins at Washington and Arizona. I don't think Memphis was awesome in their win at Tennessee. It just so happened that one team had to win. But I do think you have to give credit to the coaching staff. I do think you have to give credit to the players. And I would also say this. I do think Memphis is dangerous going forward. And again, I know we want to poo-poo what they've done. But keep in mind that without James Wiseman and without Lester Quinones, here's what they've done. They've beaten a good Ole Miss team at home. They've beaten a good NC State team on a neutral floor and they just went into Tennessee and won this game. And so it leads me to believe that as I look at the rest of their out-of-conference schedule, they only play one more Power 5 team. That's Georgia at home. I think they win convincingly because, don't know if you heard, Georgia's coached by Tom Crean. Don't know if you heard, Tom Crean doesn't really know what he's doing. They lost by 20 on Saturday night, but that's neither here nor there. And then they open conference play with a couple manageable games. I will say, though... Memphis does play at Wichita State. Wichita State's really good. So I think that's one that Memphis could lose. I don't see very many losses on this team's schedule going forward without James Wiseman. And when he comes back, I really don't see that many losses for this team going forward. And so I just think that that whether you like Memphis or whether you don't like them, just be ready. This team isn't going anywhere. This team isn't a team that is going to flop under expectations This team isn't a team that is going to um, self-combust because they have too much talent. And I think they're really dangerous as well. I found it really interesting. If you watch that Tennessee game, you look at that roster. So we know James Wiseman's out. We know Lester Quinones is out. Their probably second best player, Precious Achua, was in foul trouble. He played well, but he wasn't great. Um, And he's a pro, by the way, I should add. Boogie Ellis is going to be an NBA player. He only had three points. Damian Ball, going to be an NBA player, had 10 points. But the guys that really contributed were the guys off the bench. The guys that we thought were going to get buried and potentially transfer. Memphis's leading scorers yesterday were DJ Jeffries and Tony Harris, a sophomore guard for Memphis. If you remember when Gary Parrish was on the show about six weeks ago, two months ago, we were talking about what happens to the guys that aren't the superstars. And Gary Paris said, like, man, I can't lie. I wouldn't be surprised if Tony Harris, who's a sophomore from Memphis, is looking to transfer out by midseason. Well, that dude was just a leading scorer off the bench against Tennessee. Alex Lomax, another sophomore, played 29 minutes, 8.7 rebounds, three assists, two steals. And so I look at this Memphis team, and I will say, I do think they're really dangerous going forward. I really do, because the one thing that stood out to me about them and I got roasted about this on Twitter with Rob Dowster, my buddy Rob Dowster, because he came after me. But like, you look at Memphis. We live in a sport with college basketball. The thing that concerns me about a lot of teams in college basketball, how many teams really have a guy, if not more than one guy, that can just go get them a bucket when they need? We're going to get into Cole Anthony in a minute, but that's why he's so important in North Carolina. He's the only guy on that roster that can go get a basket when that team needs a basket. Um, you know, you look at Louisville. This was my concern with Louisville. If you take the ball out of Jordan Wares' hands, can anybody just go get you offense? And I don't think the answer is yes. So I bring that up with Memphis because I look at Memphis and I say, dude, they got, I think, on any given play, five guys that can create their own offense in the college basketball setting, in a college basketball environment. And I include guys off the bench, by the way. The kid Tony Harris, is, or Tyler Harris, is like their 11th, maybe not their 11th, but like their seventh best player. He was supposed to be their seventh, eighth, ninth guy. He led the team in scoring. Alex Lomax was supposed to be their seventh, eighth, ninth guy. He had eight points and seven rebounds and three assists in that game. And so again, you don't have to like Memphis, but I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, keep an eye on that team. Because they are not going anywhere, and when they get James Wiseman back, and they have that, that guy down low that you can just dump the ball to and get two points, I think they're going to be really dangerous. I think this is a team that could be a top four seed come tournament time. I think they could enter the tournament legitimately, I don't know, 28-3, and 27-3. They're, of course, going to have to vacate two wins, so that's going to be kind of weird. But they're going to be dangerous. I wouldn't want to see them in my draw. They looked good. Impressive win by then. Really quick on Tennessee, I don't have any like earth-shattering, life-altering things to say about Tennessee. I think the bottom line is this. We all knew coming into the year that after they lost Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams, and Jordan Bone, they were going to rely on their two kind of really key players that were returning, Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden. Well, those two guys combined for three for 21 from the field on Saturday against Memphis. They combined for 10 total points. And so I don't think I'm breaking uh, any huge news here by saying I think Tennessee is going to be fine because I don't think they're going to get a worse performance from their two best players than they just got against Memphis. Now credit partly to Memphis for the defense and what they were able to do. But I'm just saying I'm not worried about Tennessee. I'm not worried about them. I actually thought there were some positives. They need a big guy to step up. And it looks like John Fulkerson, the the, the big kid um, that was really kind of a role player last year behind Grant Williams, he actually played pretty well, seven rebounds. They need one of those big guys, whether it's Fulkerson, whether it's Eve Pons, to step up. I thought they both looked pretty good. Now it's on those two other guys, Jordan Bowden and Lamonte Turner, to step up. As long as they do, I think they'll be fine. This is one if you're Tennessee, you just kind of shake it off. Neither team was that good but Memphis was the deserving winner. All right, let's wrap on a couple quick topics here. Um, One was the University of Kentucky, and I want to get into it because so many people who listen to this show are Kentucky fans, but to be perfectly honest, there really just hasn't been much to talk about with the University of Kentucky throughout the season. Bottom line is, look, they played opening night, they play Michigan State, they beat Michigan State, and up until Saturday... So from November 5th or whatever it was, until December 14th, they had not played a Power 5 program, a Power 6 program, from the Big 12, Big 10, SEC, ACC, uh, Big East, or Pac-12. That finally changed on Saturday. They played Georgia Tech. And if you follow Kentucky, and I know a lot of you do, John Calipari, this is all by design, right? John Calipari actually had a big press conference earlier this year fans were getting mad about the schedule and about why we're playing all these cupcakes and John Calipari's like dude I hate to be a jerk but it's not really about you guys it's not really about the fans it's about the players and it's about getting the players to play at peak capacity and so now is when the schedule starts to ramp up they play Georgia Tech on Saturday they play Utah in Las Vegas on Wednesday they of course play Ohio State on Saturday but you're gonna hang out with me Friday night so we'll talk about that game not only on the podcast later this week, but also in person in Vegas on Friday, you're going to come hang out with me. And then, of course, they play Louisville after Ohio State. So the schedule is really ramping up, but Saturday was the first time that we saw Kentucky against a Power 5 program. And I don't want to over-exaggerate, and I don't want to make this a bigger deal than it is, because they did get a 14-point win over Georgia Tech at home. The game was never really in doubt in the second half, Although it was kind of closer than Jay Billis and um, the other announcer were making it sound. I mean, Jay Billis was eating ice cream at halftime and they kept shooting the camera on the guy with the ice cream that had ice cream in his beard and I felt kind of bad for that guy. And I don't know if he listens to the podcast. If he does, I'm sorry to you, bro. Uh, But yeah, it it wasn't really that close. But I do think there were some positives for the University of Kentucky. Now, I I didn't want to make a big deal about this or make it too big because, listen, other teams are playing other good teams And so I don't want to make it seem like I think Kentucky is the greatest thing in the world because they just beat an average to below average Georgia Tech team. But what I thought was a positive for Kentucky was very simply this. If you can think back to the Michigan State game, which was a solid win to open the season, really the only guy who played really well was Tyrese Maxey. I thought that night Nate Sestina played pretty well. I thought Nick Richards played okay. I thought everybody else was kind of meh. And so, what I liked about the Georgia Tech game was, one, I just thought it was a much better contribution all around. 21 points for Ashton Hagens. Ashton Hagens appears to be hitting threes more consistently and goes two for three behind the arc. 16 points for Emmanuel quickly. 12 points for Nick Richards. 10 points for Keon Brooks. So, I liked the consistency. But what I've really liked about, or I like the kind of balance. What I've really liked about Kentucky the last two or three games, they've played mediocre competition, and they've done what you would expect. I'm not saying that we need to overreact to a Georgia Tech win. We certainly don't need to overreact to a win over Fairleigh Dickinson last weekend. But the one thing I can tell you is that if you're going to play Fairleigh Dickinson and you're going to play Georgia Tech, there's a certain way that you should be beating them if you're Kentucky. And I think for the most part, Kentucky did that. Against Fairleigh Dickinson, they dominated. EJ Montgomery was awesome on Saturday. Like I said, it was a more balanced affair. But I like how this team's developing. Nick Richards, our boy, Junior Nick Richards. Shout out to my boy Drew Franklin who came up with that nickname. Um, Nick Richards looks like a completely different player. So much more confident. He's hitting that 15-foot jumper. when When he catches the ball, he goes up for those powerful dunks. He's not even thinking. He's not overreacting. He's just doing. So shout out to Nick Richards. Keon Brooks is playing with more confidence. And I think Keon Brooks is going to be a big X factor for this team because they need another guy that can play down low and I think Keon Brooks is going to be that guy. Um, like I said, Ashton Hagen shot well. Emmanuel quickly scored. Tyrese Maxey played pretty good defense, even though he wasn't necessarily in the scoring column. And then I think defensively, I thought that was a total positive. Um, they mentioned it on the broadcast, but the kid DeVoe came in averaging over 21 points per game. He's held to five against uh, Kentucky. Kentucky. James Banks, their big guy down low, he finished with 6 points and 2 boards. This was a guy that's averaging now 10 and 8 on the season. So again, I don't want to overreact to Kentucky. I don't want to make this a bigger deal than it is, but I think as you get ready to gear up, you had to look a certain way in this game, and I think that for the most part Kentucky did. All right. Enough college hoops for one day. I think for the first weekend without without football, I thought it was pretty awesome. So I want to thank you guys for listening to today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Quick reminder, if you are looking for more kind of Kentucky, Ohio State look-ahead stuff, we will have plenty of that on the next episode. Cross your fingers. I'm hoping to get a really good guest. I'm hoping to bring you somebody that knows Ohio State about as well as anybody. It won't be Chris Holtman, just so you know. It won't be Chris Holtman, but somebody really good. So make sure you're paying attention for that. And with that, I want to remind you, please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on the Podcast Addict app if you have an Android. That is where most people who have Androids do not have an iPhone listen to this show. You can also do it on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, I just said. Sorry, it's been a long day. I didn't come into this day thinking I was going to talk about Cole Anthony and Wofford, okay? It's been a long day. Forgive me. So Spotify, just once, subscribe on Spotify. Uh, tune in radio, um, Pod Paradise, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can listen to this show. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Tell us how great I am, how awesome I am, how much you love this show. Get other people involved. Get other people engaged by leaving a rating and review. Follow on Instagram the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast Instagram page. If you search Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, you will find it there. I will be giving my college football, pick, uh, college basketball picks, my rankings. Everything you need to know about this show is available on that page. And finally, I said it. I spent five minutes hyping at the top. If you're going to be in Vegas this weekend for the CBS Sports Classic on Friday, the day before the games, the day before Ohio State, Kentucky, and UNC, UCLA, for those of you who are still going to bother to go to UCLA, UNC, which is going to basically be like a JV game, but if you're going to go to those games make sure to hit me up. I will be in Vegas. We will be drinking, partying, having a good time Friday afternoon, three to five at Lagasse's Stadium, which is a popular sports bar in the Venetian. Come. We got drink specials. We got happy hour food. We got uh, It's a sports book, so you can make a bet while you're there. We'll bet the Bahamas bowl together. It'll be awesome. So make sure if you want to come, reach out to me. Let me know so I can get you on the guest list. Um, You can do that any way you want, basically. Email Aaron Torres Podcast questions at gmail.com, the Aaron Torres Podcast Instagram page, Twitter, wherever you can connect with me. Let me know you're going to be there. It's going to be awesome, but you know what's even more awesome? we got another show coming later this week. Thank you for your guys' support. I appreciate you guys listening. Fun weekend, fun show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. I will be back later this week.